You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Um, my favorite thing about camp every year that we go... Um, Worship is wonderful, and uh, the songs that we sing and seeing students pour their hearts out. Um, but you may or may not have seen a few of the pictures in kind of the pre-roll before the service. My favorite thing about uh, camp is to see all of our students uh, seated across rows with Bibles open on their laps and ready to take notes and study God's Word. And it's an amazing thing. And uh, And so I just want to... I say to you that every time we get to open God's word, what a joy and a privilege it is. And we should be willing and ready to hear God speak. Amen. So John chapter 17, Jesus is speaking. And we know that the purpose of this gospel is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And as you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that Jesus has now turned his attention primarily from the unbelieving masses and crowds around him and even those religious rulers of the day to his closest followers to instruct them and in how they're to continue to grow in the faith that they now have come to know, faith in Jesus as their Savior. But this chapter, as we've been looking at five chapters of this so far, this being number five, this chapter is somewhat unique. Because for four chapters, Jesus has instructed his disciples on how to live. He's given them encouragement and theological underpinning to the things that they'll face. Even warning about persecution. But it's all been mainly instructional. But here, Jesus turns his attention not toward his disciples, but toward God the Father. And what was primarily instructional has become more of a prayer text. Prayer passages in the Bible often serve to help us in our prayer lives, don't they? We look at prayers in the Bible and we learn how to pray from what we're seeing. One example could have been Matthew chapter 6, whenever Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what has affectionately been known as the Lord's Prayer. Here, this purpose is not one so much to teach us to pray Jesus is actually doing something entirely different. He is praying for the very belief that he has been preaching for 16 chapters. So this prayer is more about who Jesus is and how he's acting on behalf of his people rather than teaching us something. These are the final moments before Jesus is arrested. And led away to be crucified. And in fact, if you turn to the very next chapter, you'll see it is the betrayal and the arrest of our Savior and leading to the cross. 
Chapter 18 begins with that road and Jesus and his disciples are finally entering the garden where Jesus would be arrested. But this seems to be different than even the garden prayer that we've come to know in Matthew chapter 26. Here's the critical thing that Jesus is showing us. We need to understand what Jesus is doing in this prayer, especially in light of the cross that's coming immediately to follow and what that means for every believer to come after that. So what we're going to do is divide this chapter over the next three weeks into three different sections. But I think it's best that we read the entire prayer each week so that we continue to see the whole of what Jesus is saying. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 17, beginning in verse one. The Bible says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. that They may also be sanctified In truth, I do not ask for these only, but also for all of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I see me to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I I pray this morning that we would see your heart. That we would understand what it is that you are doing and how monumental it is that you are praying for us here in this passage and that you continue to intercede for us. I pray that that would consume our hearts with joy. That we would find strength resting in the reality that there is an advocate before the throne of God for us. One who is pleading our case daily. And God, I pray that, that in that strength we would worship you and that we would obey you and that we would live for the sake of your mission in the world. God, I thank you for these students and their testimony this morning. I pray that you would continue to strengthen what has been started in them. And God, if there is one here among us that is not trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, may this be the very day, even as they've heard the testimony of believers in this room, the preaching of your word, the worship of the saints, I pray, God, that you would change their lives today and that they would become born again. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said... That's prayer language. That's not Jesus teaching the disciples something. He's simply turning his attention to the Father in the presence of his disciples. And he's speaking to God. It's an amazing concept, isn't it? That someone can speak to the God that created all things. The prayer here is taken on many different names. John 17, that is. It's been called the farewell prayer. The prayer of Jesus. The Lord's Prayer, even the magisterial prayer, the the consecration prayer, various other names given to this particular prayer. It's one of the longest in the Bible, the third longest and the longest of Jesus that we have on record. But that is important because the actual content of the prayer and its theological themes and practical concerns for the church are important and we can't ignore that. But even beyond that, it's important to understand this prayer because of the profoundness of what Jesus is actually doing here. And then what it in turn says about the eternal role of the Son of God and what He's doing on behalf of believers. And and then how that reality shapes our lives every single day. So Jesus has just given final instructions to the disciples about the way to the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of persecution and the nature of that, the need to love and serve one another, the the need to abide in Jesus, a resting that should be theirs whenever they're hoping in this future joy and the victory that is belonging to Jesus alone. All of that teaching remember, was in response to their troubled hearts. Jesus gives them all of this instruction 
and how to overcome their troubled hearts. And yet at the end, they still have troubled hearts. And this is where this is so profound. All of the instruction, which they absolutely needed, was not enough in and of itself. Because they were helpless in their own flesh to do anything in their own strength as they walked toward the garden. They were helpless to come to the place where they could overcome a troubled heart. And this is where Jesus stops to pray with them and for them. There were moments at camp this week where we were overwhelmed by various things. And all we could do is stop in that moment and begin to pray. And God began to shape our hearts and God began to correct our thinking and God began to fill with hope. It's an amazing thing what happens whenever God's people just simply stop and pray together. But this is even more profound than that. When the God of heaven and the person and work of Jesus Christ says, I know you're overwhelmed and here's some things you need to know and please follow my instruction carefully But at the end of the day, you need instruction, yes, but even more than that, you just simply need me. And I'm going to pray over your deepest needs. In Scripture, this kind of praying is a word that you may be familiar with. It's the word intercession. Praying for someone else on their behalf when there's a need that is a need that only God can meet. A need that is so overwhelming that that perhaps you don't even know how to pray when the only thing that can happen is someone else who has the strength to do so prays for you on your behalf, pleads your case. It, It carries with it the idea of intervening as if something is going to happen tragically and and this big monstrous thing is going to happen. And if somebody doesn't intervene and pray for you that you're still going to remain in your trouble or at least troubled heart. It is to come between two parties and to approach another party on behalf of the first party. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's interceding for the disciples. He sees their troubled hearts. And more than that, he sees the coming dangers, that this is not all there is. Like, there's a lot coming, (laughs) Things that you guys don't even imagine, can't even imagine at this moment. There's so much that is coming. And Jesus, in their weakness, he pleads their case. And he prays for unity and protection and holiness and strength. And not just these disciples, he prays for the church and the disciples that are to come because of their testimony, because of their preaching. He prays for them and pleads their case. This is why I believe that the most appropriate title for this passage is the high priestly prayer. The office of high priest was instituted at Mount Sinai. You might recall the story when God gave the law. And in giving the law, he said that Aaron and his descendants would be priests to God. And there would be one who would be picked out from the group of priests to be the high priest. And that priest was selected in order to go and make the atonement that once a year sacrifice for the people and to go into the holiest of holies, to go into that place where the presence of God dwelt and to intercede 
on behalf of the people to confess sin and to confess the people's repentance. And that would be repeated every year, year after year after year. It was just temporary. It would only last for the year and it would have to be done again. So each year, the high priest would intercede on behalf of the people. He would come before God and plead the case of the people. Jesus comes as the ultimate high priest. It was insufficient. That one moment in the life of Israel was insufficient to ultimately forgive sins. The human priests with their animal sacrifices were incapable of bringing anything permanent. The people of God needed permanent forgiveness, needed ultimate forgiveness. The people of God needed someone who could go into the holiest place by nature of his own character and lead the people of God into the very presence of God. And this is what Jesus has done. John 17 is a picture of coming before God as a great high priest, as an intercessor, as a mediator, the one who can ultimately forgive sinners. This is where we get to the heart of it. Because I told you that the critical thing was what Jesus is doing in this prayer. He's praying for, interceding for disciples, right? The leaven that are there with him. And especially as we think about the cross that's coming in the very next chapter. So he is acting as high priest, not just praying for them, but interceding as one who would lay down his life for them. The great high priest, Jesus. But he's praying for them and not just them, but every believer to come. And this is huge. Notice verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. Through their word. See, Jesus, when he stops to pray for the eleven, Jesus stops to pray for us. Jesus is interceding for us. In, in our deepest weakness, Jesus is pleading our case. He's not some human priest that will simply offer up sacrifices and requests to God on our behalf and has no ability to ultimately lead us to forgiveness of sin and to be in a right relationship with God. He's pleading our case every single day in the very presence of our greatest accuser and in every case silencing him on behalf of believers because Jesus is the great high priest interceding on our behalf. Continually. So get this. I want you to get this. Jesus is continually pleading your case before God and praying for your deepest needs. This is so huge. He is continually pleading your case and praying for your deepest needs. So listen to Hebrews 4. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the inability of the Old Testament sacrifices to meet our need. He says in Hebrews 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect, who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
It's not that Jesus lived a life that was totally exempt from all temptation, all pain, all suffering. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. He faced pain. He faced suffering. And he did it without sin. Which means he has the right in himself to go directly into the presence of God, not to mention the fact that he is, in fact, God in human flesh. So let us then, he says in verse 16, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is giving mercy and grace as we approach the throne And as he acts as our high priest in every single time of need. Jesus is praying for us. He goes on in chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Because Jesus Christ died and rose to life. He is our permanent high priest. Verse 25 says this, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since, listen, he always lives to make intercession for them. The picture of John 17 is not that Jesus prayed once 2000 years ago for those disciples and once for the disciples that would come after them. Jesus continues to intercede on behalf of every single believer. So John 17 is just a picture of that. Jesus is pleading your case. In the midst of. Your deepest rebellion. That that time when you didn't know Christ. Those those moments of sin and turning your face against God and living in a way that dishonored him, that disregarded him. In those moments, Jesus was praying for you. On the days as a Christian. Of your deepest trial. Where it's heaviest. You're carrying a weight that you can't bear up on your own. Those days of deepest pain where you don't even know how to pray or what to ask for. And you don't want to be around anybody. You just want to close yourself up in a room. Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding for you. During the moments of greatest temptation. When that sin that you know dishonors God, but is so weighing on you and so drawing you in and you're trying with all that you are to resist your flesh and it's just seeming impossible. Jesus is praying that your flesh, even in your weakness, would not consume you, but that his spirit would be strong in you. He's praying for you. On the days that you fail. Those days where you Seem to live in this place of shame and guilt and regret and wondering if you can ever overcome the past. Jesus is praying for you. During seasons of prideful confidence. Where you feel like you've got the world by the bootstraps and you can do whatever you need to do. And if you work hard enough, you'll make it. And those moments when you're just one step away from failure. Jesus is praying for you. I love what Jesus said to Peter 
You remember, he tells Peter in Luke chapter 22, he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. There was this moment where Peter was coming face to face with his sin and in his pride, he said, he said, no, that could never happen, Jesus. And we know that the very next moment, Peter falls and he denies Jesus three times. But listen to what Jesus said even before it ever happened. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Listen to this. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. And that when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Oh, believer, hope in this. That our Savior is interceding for us. And that His salvation will not fail. And that He will present us faultless because Jesus is praying for us. This is huge. There's some things, though, at the beginning of this prayer that he gives us to confirm or to make this this role of his concrete in our minds so that we would understand what is different about Jesus pleading our case versus anyone else pleading our case. What makes this so unique? And he tells us in these first five verses. So I want to show them to you five things that make Jesus unique as intercessor and that makes this really, really good news. Number one, Jesus displays the glory of God. Jesus displays the glory of God. Right? So we've seen the prayer language that begins at the beginning of verse 1. Here's what Jesus says to begin with. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And what Jesus is thinking is not just general glory. Jesus is thinking in view of the cross because the hours come. There is this moment of glory that is going to shine brighter at the cross than in any other moment in human history. The word glorify is the word doxazo or doxa. We get doxology from that word. It is the word glory or weight or heaviness. It means to praise. It is taking what is true and causing it to be declared, to shine. Do you remember when the angels came and announced the birth of Jesus? The glory of the Lord shone all around them. This is what happens whenever Jesus is glorified. The, what is true about Jesus, what is, what is the character of God in Jesus as the Son of God is declared. It shines forth brightly. It's magnified. And the worth of it, the weight of it is made known. What Jesus is saying is, glorify your Son at the cross So that in the cross, the Son might glorify you. The character of God demonstrated at the cross of Christ brings glory to God. The holiness of God. His perfection. His moral uprightness. His his justice. The fact that He is good in all that He does. His love. His grace. His mercy. All of that in one moment 
shines forth to all of mankind. It's being declared. The worth of it is being made known. And then, Jesus rises from the dead to declare victory over death so that the death He died in our place would not be the end, but we would have a Savior who lives forever. And Jesus is interceding as God in human flesh, the full character of God on display, whoever lives. Jesus is our intercessor. He then, because He's God, needs no intercessor. No one has to pray for Jesus that He would get things right. No one has to pray for Jesus that He would be right with God. No one has to pray for Jesus that He would succeed in His mission. No one has to to pray for Jesus that anything would happen. Jesus is God in human flesh. He needs no intercessor. And it follows then that He alone can be our intercessor. I'm thankful in my life that I have had Godly men and women, especially men and women in my family that I know pray for me. I, I know that that same story is true our, our, in your life. Our, our students felt your prayers this week. They really did. They, they read the cards and they were encouraged by you praying for them, interceding for them. This was good news. But can I tell you this morning that Jesus alone can, as the glory of the living God, be our ultimate intercessor. Without his prayers, we are lost. Jesus displays the glory of God. Secondly, Jesus shares the authority of God. He shares the authority of God. Beginning of verse 2, he says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh. Jesus has all authority. I want you to hear this. In heaven and on earth. And under the earth. When Jesus prays, he is praying with authority. He's interceding with authority. Means that Jesus is Lord over all. We don't make Jesus Lord of anything, he already is. But because Jesus is Lord and because we've trusted in His name and we know that He has all authority over all flesh, we submit to His Lordship because we're followers of Jesus Christ. So He has all authority. And then specifically, He said to give eternal life. We're going to come back to that. But when Jesus, here's what this means. When Jesus is interceding, For our salvation, it is a successful intercession. He's pleading our case and he does so successfully because he has the authority to forgive sin. Do you remember the the story about the the man who uh, was a paralytic and he was uh, uh, he, he was in need of healing? Behold, the scribes. Uh, say to themselves when this man says, I can I can I can raise you, I can heal you. He says that they're blaspheming. And he says, no, in order to show you that I'm not that I have the ability to forgive sin, I'm going to raise this man to walk again. The authority to forgive sin. Jesus has that authority. And I'm thankful for that this morning. 
No one else has the authority to forgive my sin. You can tell me all day long, I can help you be right with God. You can bring me to church. You can do everything that you want to do in my life. But at the end of the day, there's only one who has the authority to forgive my sin and to set me free from hell and death and, and the enemy. And it's Jesus. And when he sets me free, I'm free indeed. You're here this morning. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus intervenes. He intercedes for you with authority. Third, Jesus gives the salvation of God. So this is the second part of verse 2 into verse 3. Jesus has all authority. And let's unpack this now. To give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus has the authority to give eternal life. Praying, praying for people, praying for those to come to faith. He secures them. He grants them eternal life. It happens because he gives them eternal life and he gives eternal life to all whom the father has given him. This is a certainty here. It has built into it two doctrines which we won't take the time to fully unpack this morning, but the doctrine of election and the doctrine of eternal security. And the bottom line is, Jesus isn't going to fail in saving the elect. All whom the Father has given to Jesus will come to Him and Jesus prays for them and saves them. He will not fail in doing that. He's able himself to give it even as he prays for it. So when Jesus is praying for you, it's not an unsuccessful prayer. He doesn't fail. When he's pleading your case, the case for eternal salvation, the salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins, he doesn't fail in that. By the way, it's a good side note here. You should mark verse three in your Bibles. What exactly is it that Jesus gives? Salvation is often put forward as a way to health, wealth, and prosperity. Salvation is often put forward as fire insurance to get us out of hell. Salvation is often put forward as an eternal reward of pearly gates and golden streets and all of those things. But do you know the greatest joy of salvation? Do you know what It is that actually is eternal life. Jesus says that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Salvation is knowing God. It's the greatest joy of our salvation. And here's the beauty of this, that when Jesus prays for us as our successful intercessor, he brings us directly into the presence of God. It is a high priestly action going into the holiest place. When Jesus died on the cross in our place, He tore the veil so that there was no more separation. And when we hear Jesus pray, we join Him in the throne room. It's an amazing picture. Jesus 
gives the salvation of God. Fourth, Jesus accomplished the work of God. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He's not failing in it because he accomplished the work that was required for it. He went to the cross and he said, it is finished. There it was finished. The work was finished. You don't add anything else to the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and coming again for all who believe in Him. This is the gospel. The good news of salvation. Nothing more, nothing less. And Jesus has fully accomplished the work. To tell us that it is finished. The accomplishing of the work of ministry, fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament, the substitution required for our sin. So much accomplished in the cross, but it is finished. And he is ever living and interceding for us because he finished the work. Jesus accomplished the work of God. And finally, Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me. Which, by the way, Jesus addressing God as the holy God, as Father, as righteous God. It's all throughout this text. He says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, took on flesh, became a baby, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died for sinners, raised to life, and then ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, where He now lives and ever intercedes for us. It's a picture of the ascension. Right after Jesus was raised to life, 50 days later, He ascended to the throne room. Romans 8 describes this place of Jesus where He is interceding for us. Listen to what Paul writes. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? This is verse 33. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Listen to what he says. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus, seated in the throne room as King of kings and Lord of lords, is interceding for us with all authority as the perfect intercessor. And He is interceding perfectly. He's praying for you. Continually pleading your case and praying for even your deepest need. At your weakest moment, Jesus is pleading your case. He knows the deepest needs of your life, your soul. He knows the practical struggles every day. He knows the weakness of your flesh. And He's praying for you. Some of you this morning may be going through a pretty painful season of your life. And you feel alone. In fact, it's pretty painful some days in ways that you can't even bear it. Know that Jesus has not left you alone. 
that he's praying for you, that he's with you, and that you're going to make it through because you have a perfect intercessor. Not because you have any strength to do it on your own, but because his strength is perfect. Some of you this morning are facing impossible circumstances. It's just confusing. Questions that remain unanswered. You don't know what you're going to do. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's, I don't know. But we have a God who's the God of the impossible who is praying for you. It's an amazing picture. Jesus is praying for us. Some of you may be here this morning and you are in a raging battle with temptation. Students, you're going to be going back to school here in just a week. Um, We'll go back to work Monday. Some of us offer student life camp and on the mountaintop, but then you go back in the trenches and you know what it's like to face every day a battle with the flesh. But you're not in it alone. Jesus is praying for you. Some of you, in fact, might be here this morning and you're living most days in a sinful lifestyle. And Jesus is praying for you. Some of you battle shame and regret every single day. Jesus is praying for you. And there may be someone here who's never come to know the one who's been praying for them. Never come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And the Bible says that Jesus is praying for all those who will believe. So will you believe today? Will you turn from your sin and trust in Christ? With all of your heart. Jesus says that he'll save you today. You'll call upon his name. With every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning we want to invite you to do just that. Just a few moments, our worship team is going to come and they're going to sing. And we'll stand together with them and sing about our God and what He is doing to call people to Himself. But right now in this moment, you hear His voice. Right now in this moment, He's calling you to respond in obedience. Would you say yes to Jesus today? Would you come and submit to His Lordship? Would you receive His work of intercession on your behalf? His dying for you on the cross? And would you give your heart and life to Jesus today? Believer, would you give whatever that is to Jesus today? Just give it to Him. Trust in Him to be your intercessor this morning. And so with every head bowed, I want to ask you to stand this morning all across the room. And as I pray, our altar is going to open down front. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Whatever whatever decision is on your heart today following Jesus, would you do that? Lord, I pray that you would lead us to obedience this morning. And that you would be honored in it. Thank you, Jesus, for interceding for us right now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If Evan leads us, you come this morning. The altar's open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. 
We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.